Father, we come to this time now when we open your word and talk together about what it means to trust and to be dependent on you and then out of that to live our lives in ways that um, truly are different than in the world we live. So give us ears to hear and hearts to understand by your spirit. Open your word to us. God, as a family, as a body of believers, especially at this time, may we reflect the kindness, the grace, the generosity, and the peace of Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. All right, I'd like for you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, since that's uh, where we are. And uh, I want to read just one verse, and that's what we'll be focusing on today. Again, this is the, the context for the Lord's Prayer, Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is giving, and He addresses the issue of prayer. And then He comes to the model prayer, the template prayer that He offers to His disciples, and invites them to pray like this. So not to mimic the exact words all the time, but certainly to use this as a way to go about praying. And in particular today, we want to focus on verse 11. Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, This is a situation we're facing right now that is unprecedented in our lifetime for most of us, okay? And certainly in America, except perhaps for 9-11. But many of the same concerns and anxieties and challenges that existed then certainly exist now, and maybe even to a greater degree. The question for us is, as believers, how are we going to navigate this, and how are we going to present a clear message of who we believe God to be in the midst of this? And this situation actually brings to the surface some of the very things that Jesus intended the disciples to see when he invited them to pray as he has said in Matthew chapter 6. This part of the Lord's Prayer that we're going to focus on today in particular can help us gain perspective not only on our current crisis and how we are to navigate that, but the whole of our lives, every aspect of it. It's like a reset button on our fears and our tendency to live our lives as if we were actually self-sufficient and in control. Even the immediate context of this prayer that Jesus gives, the context of the Sermon on the Mount, is foreign territory for most of us most of the time. It's a context that is far removed from we experience every day, in particular this idea of give us today our daily bread. There was a time, and I don't think it's been too far, certainly not in my lifetime, but not too far back, and in some places in the world today, where daily wages mean you get to go to the market or the grocery store and buy food. The connection between your work and the daily amount that you earned allowed you then to purchase what you needed to subsist. And that's still true in many places of the world today. And where life expectancy was vastly different than it is today. And it's not the way we live, right? This is not, we are disconnected from this completely for the most part. We've been given 
the privilege of abundance and good health. And we've learned that we can have more than one of everything, as well as expecting that our lives should be free from sickness. And we are separated from a large portion of the world's population who are hungry every day and don't know what tomorrow actually is going to bring. There are 800 million people in the world who are chronically undernourished. And interestingly enough, with the schools closed for the next few weeks, there's a scramble on to provide the lunches that many of children depend on, especially in those urban areas. They depend on that food, that lunch, most likely for their daily substance. It's interesting to note that there are still countries in the world today where 50 is the best what one can hope for in terms of life expectancy. So this is not a new issue, though. This is not, certainly not new in Jesus' day. It's very connected to what Jesus and those who heard him would have experienced. There were rich and poor in Jesus' day. They were healthy and sick. There were those who were following him who would have heard what he was saying and understood exactly what this meant, while at the same time being a challenge for them in terms of how they were to live. This is a human issue, this idea of give us this day our daily bread. And it's a constant theme in Scripture and throughout Jesus' teaching because our tendency as human beings is to store up, to preserve, to want to control, to be the ultimate providers and the source for all we need and want. Now, this operates in the background. I know it does for me. It's not always overt. But in times like these, interestingly enough, it becomes a little more apparent. Often I think I find myself, and I think in general, we live in fearful forgetfulness. And Jesus is fundamentally challenging that default that we live out of most of the time in this passage. So how would those who heard Jesus, what he said here about give us today our daily bread, how would they have heard that? And then what does it call us to today in the midst of the abundance that we enjoy and the crisis that we are experiencing at this time? One of the things that would have immediately come to mind to those who were listening to Jesus at this point is the whole idea of daily bread. It would have immediately taken them back to Exodus chapter 16, where God provided for the children of Israel manna in the wilderness. God provided bread and actually meat as well because there was quail that was provided for 40 years for the children of Israel while they wandered through the desert. Forty years every day, provision was made for God's people. Interestingly enough, though, even in that, our default showed up almost immediately as human beings. God said, gather as much as you can eat in one day. I'm going to provide the manna. Gather as much as you can eat, just enough for today. No one is to leave anything over until the morning. And on the sixth day, there will be twice as much. So go out and gather that because on the Sabbath day, there wasn't going to be anything. And so what immediately happened? There were fearful people 
who went out and gathered more than they could eat for a day and expecting to hold it over to the next day. And then God sent worms. And they couldn't eat the bread that they had gathered. And then there were those who were forgetful, who decided that, well, the Sabbath regulation really wasn't all that important. And so out they went on the Sabbath day to gather the manna. And there was none for them to get. And so they had forgotten. Deb and I went shopping Friday night. If any of you have been to the grocery store in the last few days, um, we had heard reports and then firsthand experience of entire shelves being empty. No meat, no produce, no eggs. Anybody got eggs? Got eggs? Okay, good for you. All right. What we're seeing now is this whole default thing of being controlled on steroids. It's ramped up because as human beings, we are fearfully forgetful. This idea of forgetting also is reinforced when the children of Israel were entering the land after they'd wandered about, and God provided for them for 40 years. And they're getting ready to enter the land in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 18. This is what Moses says to the people as they're preparing to enter the land that God had promised them. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So that whole wilderness experience and the, and the providing for 40 years of the manna and the quail and the water from the rock, all of the provision that God made was actually a test for God's people, a test of trust and a lesson that really sets the backdrop for this petition in the Lord's Prayer. How will we today as God's people live as for, fearfully forgetful or radically dependent and trusting? That's where we are today in light of this petition that Jesus offers us. And I will tell you that in my experience in studying for this and engaging with the Lord's Prayer in a way I haven't done ever before, I find this particular petition a dangerous prayer. It is a dangerous prayer. It is not something we simply can recite and go blithely on our way. If we actually engage with what Jesus is saying here, it will reframe our whole understanding of our existence as human beings because it invites us to see ourselves in a different way and to think differently about the way we go about our lives. So Jesus says, when you pray, 
And he calls us in this section to a posture of dependence and trust. He says, give us. Now right there, we are confronted with an open-handed way to pray and to live. Give us. This is, this is something coming from somewhere else to us. And this is the model that Jesus gave of praying. Give us. We are coming to God, realizing our dependence and God's desire to provide. They go together. If we come with that posture, we come understanding that God is not a stingy God. Now, I understood dependence when I was a child, okay? And when Heather was born, I was reintroduced to the idea of dependence because when you have children, you understand they are dependent on you, right? But somehow we forget that childlike approach to life, that idea of dependence. Think of this for a moment. If God blinked for a nanosecond, you and I would cease to exist, and so would everything in this world. We are utterly and always dependent. It's interesting that only as illness or time, which many of us are experiencing, encroach on our imagined sense of control and self-reliance, do we begin to realize how human and how dependent we actually are. Until then, we often live in the deep fear, kind of under the surface for most of us and for me as well, that God is somehow holding out on us. Somehow He's not going to come through. He won't provide. And we have to fend for ourselves. And this is an echo of the fall Because at the very beginning, Adam and Eve were convinced by Satan that somehow God was holding out on them. And that continues to this very day in the way we approach our lives. We find ourselves anxiously hoarding, fearfully protecting, forgetfully stockpiling, doing everything we can to make sure our lives are provided for, for ourselves. Those in prison... Um, and you may wonder how I know this, so you can ask me about that later. Those in prison, interesting enough, which is a place where there are lots of rules about how many clothes you can have and how much food you can have, is an amazing place of hoarding and stockpiling. People will do whatever they can to have an extra pair of khakis or three, And the latest brand of tennis shoes, or three, no matter what the rules were, and in a place of minimalism, this is what takes place. And today, for us, we find the same thing, bank accounts and toilet paper, right? This is what we do. But twice in this chapter, Jesus reminds us, twice, that the Father knows. The Father knows. And what does that tell us about God's character and His power? Before you ask, He is watching, He's waiting, He's aware of our needs, and is kindly disposed toward us. Implied in this 
give us is the generous hand of a loving Father. It's there. Give us is a simple and childlike expression of trust that is born in the humility of realizing we are human and not God, but that He is God and faithful, loving, kind, generous, strong, and wise. This is why Jesus later on in this chapter, right after this prayer, in two sections in Matthew 6, can call us to surrender, to quit trying to store up things and control things for ourselves in our lives. In 19 through 24, he begins by saying, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And the only reason he could say that was because he's just given them the model of prayer that says, give us. And then he goes on in verses 25 through 34, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will wear. Why? Because you have a loving, kind, strong, gracious Father who's ready to provide. And so this prayer calls us to enter into dependence and trust and the joy of experiencing God's faithfulness every day. And Paul echoes this in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 8, verse 8. He says, And God is able to make a little bit of grace abound to you, I'm sorry, I have a wrong translation here. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Does that sound like somebody who's stingy? Somebody who's questioning whether it's, he's got enough to provide for us? Not at all. So, it calls us to dependence and trust. Give us, that posture that we have of dependence and trust. But it also calls us to have a mind that is present in the moment, because he says, give us today our daily bread. And I think for myself, I often do not see God's faithfulness because I am always in a hurry. I'm thinking about tomorrow all the time, and worry clouds me, and fear agitates me, And so I miss the very clear expressions of God's faithfulness in the small ways that he provides every day. It's interesting to note that our abundance has not resolved our basic worry. It's not resolved our basic worry, our basic default. We are anxious about tomorrow. We are anxious about protection. We are anxious about all of our lives. I know people, I work with them daily, who uh, are always looking at the stock market and how they are doing. And not just once a day checking their, their portfolio, but multiple times a day because they are anxiously worried that they might not have enough to retire on. Preoccupied with the future. What might be? What might be? As I thought about this, I think there's an interesting aspect about the future that I have missed, and I wonder if we miss it. The future drives us to see only what we do not have now. 
if we're focused on the future, it's always about the lack, right? It's about the difference between where we are now and where we hope to be then. And it's about what we don't have and what we lack. We will be dis discontent and anxious and sometimes even greedy if that's the way we constantly live. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of um, giving a devotion during a, uh, a, there's a homeless shelter that happens in the city of Royal Oak. I was invited in to do the devotional to them. And as the folks were coming in off the street that evening to be served meals, to find a, a home uh, for the night, a warm place to live, they were actually giving them haircuts and doing all kinds of things to serve them. It was interesting for me because I thought about this. These are people for whom today is all they have. It's all they have. There's no guarantee tomorrow that what they experience in that moment will be available to them. Today is all they have. In the incarnation, when Jesus became man, he willingly submitted himself to living within the bounds of time. Each day, Jesus got up and went to bed. Each day, he embraced the rhythms of one day at a time. And God thought that was a good thing by sending his son into the world as a human being. Being present in the day, in the moment, narrows our focus from all the things we think we need or must have to a very clear simplicity and contentment. Because God is in this day and in this moment. Paul echoes this in Philippians 4. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In this moment, in this day, and every day beyond the coronavirus and every other thing that might come into our lives, this is the secret that we need to embrace ourselves, to be present in the day, in the moment, today, because God is here and he will provide. We cannot recognize God's faithfulness in tomorrow if we do not learn it today. And so this prayer also calls us to a heart that knows what is enough. He says, our daily bread, right? Give us today our daily bread. Um, Matthew wrote this gospel. Luke's the other one who pens the Lord's Prayer. But Matthew in particular, I find it interesting that he's the one who includes this in his gospel. And this prayer in particular because Matthew was a tax collector, a Jewish trader in the employ of the Roman Empire, collecting taxes from his people. And the pattern of the tax collectors was to always pack it a little bit, add a little bit more, charge a little bit more interest, and line their own pockets. So how did Matthew hear this? Give us today our daily bread. It's interesting that Matthew 
and Luke followed him later, actually coined a new word that appears nowhere else than in these two Gospels in the Greek language at all. The Greek word daily is a new word that was meant to find a way to express what Jesus was saying. And what it boils down to, probably from the Aramaic, which Jesus was speaking, is daily means what is needed or sufficient. So it's sufficient for today's. That's what I need. Give us what is sufficient for today, bread. Give us today what we need for today without worry or consuming thoughtlessly as if we had a right to it because we have made it happen. Praying and living this way is a real challenge. I know it is for me because it it has the effect, if I really lean into this, to train my heart to know when things are enough. When it's enough. We do tend to be consumers, right? Food, stuff, experiences to make us feel better about ourselves and our lives. And as a result of that, we end up never really enjoying much in life. We're just always taking it in. We don't really enjoy it. Did you know that the word enjoy comes from the Latin root, which means to rejoice? Which is more of a thanksgiving. It's an external expression for what we experience rather than enjoying, which we typically interpret as, I'm having this. I am enjoying this. It's an expression of gratitude. So daily means we can experience the joy of it being fresh every day, that God's heart is toward us and His faithfulness never ends. I don't know if how many of you binge watch Netflix, Amazon Prime, whatever it may be, all right? Have you ever noticed, have you ever, I, I noticed this the other day, we're watching this series called The Chosen, which I re- recommend to anybody. It is one of the most wonderful um, examples uh, or productions about the life of Jesus. Uh, Check it out. I want to watch the next episode and the next episode and the next episode. But anytime I do that, whether it's that or any other series that I'm watching, when I'm done with it, I I feel this emptiness. It's like I got to have the next thing. What's the next show I'm going to write or or I'm going to watch? All right? It's, It's an amazing thing. We tend to not Look at each day, each thing, each experience for what it is and receive it fresh. And when God, when Jesus invites us to pray this prayer, he is not asking us to accept a meagerness. Our daily bread is not a meagerness, but it is enough. The daily supply of what I really need, not what I want, Although God, interestingly enough, is pleased sometimes for sheer joy to grant our honest desires. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes just for the sheer joy of it, God will smile and say, you know what? Yeah, that's it. But daily bread, living in that moment of daily bread, knows it, it builds a heart of knowing what is enough. And when we know how much is enough in the light of this prayer, then the extra, all those blessings that we truly do enjoy today, become an opportunity for generosity. If we know what's enough, then what is extra 
becomes an opportunity to show the generosity and grace and kindness that God calls us to. Now, I don't think it's any coincidence that later in his ministry, Jesus comes back to this theme of the bread and manna and all the rest of that, but in a way that takes us beyond our physical needs. He speaks to our deeper need. In a discussion with the Pharisees in John chapter 6, it goes like this. The Pharisees said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And then Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. So Jesus, even in light of this prayer, our daily bread, offers us a more substantive bread, a bread that leads us not only to living life day by day, but a life eternal, a life lived in the moment eternally with him. Now, there is a virus in the world that is more deadly than coronavirus. And it's a virus in which, that we are all affected with. Can you guess what that is? Okay. There's only one remedy for that, and that's Jesus. Brothers and sisters, think about the life of Christ for just a moment as we're moving towards the end here. Jesus has walked in our shoes. He lived as a human being. He was tempted in the wilderness, experienced true want for 40 days, and yet, when he was tempted, trusted his Father said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In the garden, Jesus expressed fear, looking toward the cross. And yet at that moment in time, he trusted his Father and said, not my will, but yours be done. And on the cross, as a human being, Jesus experienced abandonment, And the total loss of control. The total loss of control. And yet he says at the end, into your hands I commit my spirit. And now he is the risen Lord, the true bread of life. And having walked every step of the way that we walk, as the risen Lord, he offers to us himself as the bread that sustains our life beyond the physical into the eternal. And daily feasting on him, we are able to fully embrace the spirit and working out of this prayer that he invites us to. Because we will know a father who knows and provides. And it will free us from fear, from having to control and to protect ourselves. Even our experience with Jesus, brothers and sisters, needs to be fresh bread for us every day because just like the manna in the wilderness, you can't store up Jesus for tomorrow. He can't. 
So what would it really be like to live in light of this prayer, to have it guide the decisions we make and how we go about what we do? As I said at the beginning, it's a dangerous prayer. I, I feel the, the pressure of this because it forces us to think, it forces me to think differently about who I am and what I am and how my life should be framed. I am dependent every day on the one who holds all things together by the word of his power. Every day, every moment. And all I have is just today. That's all I've got. I don't have tomorrow. Just today. So it's a dangerous prayer because it will shift our paradigm about how we approach life. But it's also an inviting prayer. I think it invites us to remember that God can be trusted. God can be trusted. In the big and the small, in every aspect of our lives, we can rest in His love. Paul says in Romans 8, 31, 32, again, a promise that we need to hang on to. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? And he invites us to remember that God provides enough so that we can give up our worry and our fears. And to remember again that we, all we have is today. And our life can be enough in the simplicity of each day that God gives us. It also is a prayer that drives us back to Jesus and to the Father who is neither surprised by our needs or by what we're experiencing today, nor is He uncaring. This is a quote from a, a fellow pastor in the EPC talking about the Lenten, uh, Lenten period of time, and they're observing it a little more um, regularly than we are. He says, The picture that we receive in Lent is a dress rehearsal for our future. One by one, all our comforts are stripped away. We lose everything that we have worked so very hard to gain and achieve. All our pride and trophies are laid low as we lift our eyes to see what matters most. And what are we left with? God and Him alone. And that's enough. And lastly, I think if we live in the light of this prayer, it invites us into generosity. Because the future is God's and we will never lack, even for today. And generosity is more than money. It's more than giving some extra funds, which is always fine. But generosity is a spirit that we exude, that we live out of, even today in this current situation. In these times, as has been said before already, when we care for the least of these and we follow Paul's admonishment to look not only on our own interests but on the interests of others, that's when the church, when you and I as believers, are living out that generosity because we know God is enough and He provides enough and will always be there today. Posture of dependence and trust. A mind that is present in the moment. And a heart that knows what's enough. Give us this day our daily bread. We pray with me. Father God, 
We do not know your mind, but it seems like regardless of whether you are behind what's happening today in our lives or not, it still calls us to embrace and live fully into this prayer that you have given us. To recognize that we trust in you because we are truly dependent. And to know that our day and our future is fully in your hands. And that above all else, Jesus Christ, your Son, has offered himself to us as bread for eternal life. And as we feast on you, Jesus, we remember and are called to that confidence in a Father who knows exactly what we need. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, for myself. During this time, we will not give way to fear or panic. We will step away from our defaults. And that truly we will seek your face because you know what we need. Bless my brothers and sisters, Lord God, with grace and strength, wisdom, courage, and kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.